It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each week, we look at sports topics on the local regional front, some national sports topics. We talk some gambling when it's appropriate, and I got to tell you, it's usually pretty appropriate. Um, and of course, the favorite segment of the show, Ask Skinny. That's me, anything, where you can ask me anything, and I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. I'm getting more and more people that, that walk up to me and, and ask me about that segment. I had a Bengals uh, communications rep that said, you know, I, I really like when you talked about the guy with the, with the radar gun and you just start making up names like Fred and Bub, and you can tell you're really upset with that when you start calling people by Fred and Bub. I said, yeah, I... I was really taken aback by my man with the radar gun at the at the 12U baseball game. Yeah, when we you know we've actually had people send questions in about Fred specifically. <laughs> they just want to know more about Fred because you talk about him so often. He's he's a he's a he's a strange cat. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> clearly, clearly, you're usually pretty pissed at him too. That the no, person who no, came up to you and mentioned that is right. No doubt, no doubt about it. All right, Rick, we got lots to get to, so hit it off, brother. Yeah, Bengals training camp has been fully underway for a week now but media was just allowed in for the first time on Monday. There's a lot to talk about with this year's Bengals team, but top of everyone's mind whenever this team is mentioned is rookie quarterback Joe Burrow. So, Skinny, I'll ask you, what did you think of your first in-person look at Joe Burrow? Yeah, Monday was was a day in shells where they just kind of wear their uh, their helmets, shorts, and um, you know, kind of a shoulder pad stuff. It's it's not full pads. Tuesday was the first fully padded practice, so they're not going full speed in shells and you're not doing a lot of live 11 and 11 stuff, but, but watching him in that when there was really no live pass rush and just, um, just, just his f- in person, watching his footwork for the first time, watching his release, watching his release points, watching his ball placement and accuracy, um, all the stuff that, that made him the number one overall pick were, were on display for sure. I mean, he, he just showed it and he's got a swagger to him and it's sometimes swagger bugs me. Cause I think sometimes it's either false bravado or it's like, who are you, man? You're just a rook. But I think he needs that. I think they need him to have it. And I think it's, a good kind of swagger that people can feed off of because when you talk to him he is a humble very very uh, uh he, he really has a sense of 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 what what he's stepping into and um there's also a humbleness about him too when you talk to him in a, in a weird way and, and I, I think he's honest with sometimes his approach because um he wasn't so good on Tuesday um and and look I'm I've told people this, and I know everybody's expecting him to hit the ground running being Superman game one against the Chargers, and maybe he will be. I just think it's too tough of a league to expect that. So Tuesday in full pads, they did a lot of red zone stuff. They did some stuff out on the field, and suddenly the rush came live. And unfortunately, maybe this doesn't speak for the offensive line, but the rush started to get to Joe Burrow, and they flushed him a bunch of times, and he had to run for his life a few times, and a few times he, he held the ball a little bit too long. And in the red zone, he wasn't sharp. And this is where I like Joe Burrow. He admitted he wasn't all that sharp. And um, – didn't offer excuses for it. Just offered the fact that, hey, it's my first time doing it. Um, you know, windows are tighter than I thought. Um, you know, uh, it's just day one. And, and, and I agree with that. I wrote a piece saying, you know, basically that, that on day two, he was nowhere near as sharp as day one, but that's to be, to be expected. And, you know, he also didn't have A.J. Green and he didn't have T. Higgins and he didn't have John Ross and all three of those guys, I think, would be very helpful red zone targets. But um, it was a little bit of a struggle. But I like, I like his honesty and he gets it. And he's just – I'll tell you, Rick, um, you know, I, I – I wasn't completely all on board with Joe Burrow because I just the, the flavor of the month guy and anything I ever see always tends to bother me because we all want to jump to the flavor of the month. And certainly Joe Burrow's performance last year turned him from a fifth or sixth round pick to the flavor of the month. But two days of watching him even struggling in the red zone, I, I, 
I don't want to say this kid can't fail. If he fails, I will be stunned. I just, I think a lot of him and I think a lot of his talent and ability, I think he's really good. And for those that question arm strength, I know that's been a question. I just didn't see it. I mean, the ball comes out way differently for him than it certainly does for Ryan Finley. And that's maybe damning praise, but it's night and day. He he's got, he's got a lot of it's. I think there's a difference between flavor of the month, the way we usually talk about, about guy who, just plays well in the you know, final two games of the season and maybe the college football playoff or even better, the, the NCAA tournament guy from basketball, right? Right. The guy who just really shows out in the NCAA tournament and increases his draft stock and then flames out. Joe Burrow put together one of the best college football seasons we've ever seen. And, and yes, he had a chance the year before, but this was the first year where he really had everything in place. He was comfortable. He had a good team with him. I should say a dominant team with him. A lot of that was on the LSU team that he played alongside, but he did put up a historic college football season. And after the the hype reached its fever pitch, after he became the guy with all the focus on him, he took it to another level and put on a display at the end of the year and in the college football playoff, unlike we've ever seen before. It was just masterful. So I think Joe Burrow is a little more than a flavor of the month type of guy to your point. But yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying in terms of getting too high on, on those types of guys. Usually he seems a little bit different. I think my favorite part of Joe Burrow so far came after the the first day that you guys got to see him. Joe Daneman asked him something about being nervous. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, that was actually yesterday. We talked, we talked to him yesterday, but yeah, okay. um, that he was the first excited. time he was able to. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I'm excited. And uh, Joe then asked him, well, does that surprise you at all? Like, it, it, isn't it normal to be nervous? And he just kind of smirked at him and was like, well, have you ever heard about me being nervous before? That, that, was, that was a great that was answer. A great line. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you can be, it, it's very borderline. It's a, it's a tight line to walk between being cool and, and having swagger and being corny and being annoying with that type of stuff. And Burrow is very much uh, on the, the former right now for me. I think he is cool. He's walking that line well. Everything he said so far has come off the right way to me. Um, he doesn't seem to have that annoying guy who who is trying to lead without having any credentials in the locker room. It seems like he fits in well. He's easy to like. And yet he has that confidence, maybe even quiet right. or somewhat humble confidence about him, as you alluded to, that guys just naturally gravitate towards. So obviously I didn't see him throw in practice, but just that comment alone to me is, is a big reason why I've been so impressed with Joe Burrow to start. Yeah, and look, I mean, he could have answered that question about his red zone struggles yesterday in, in a just a crappy manner, right? Like we've seen a lot of athletes do of, well, you know, it was raining and, uh, you know, I didn't have this guy. Didn't have, no, it was, hey, I wasn't as good as I need to be and it's not as good as I'm going to be. And you know what? That's a great answer. That's the right answer because you weren't as good as you needed to be. But guess what? It was also the first day you've ever done it and you've got plenty of time to get better. And back to the whole flavor of the month point, and it goes back to that, that season last year. You know, as an athlete, even I think we always see those guys, right, coming out of high school as whatever stars they are, and you just put the assumption of that's how good they're going to be. Well, you know, guys are allowed to get better. And Joe Burrow, from his Ohio State days where he, he couldn't win the starting quarterback job, and look, getting recruited by Ohio State and getting a scholarship means you're pretty damn good, right? That, that means you're, you're pretty good. So he got a scholarship to Ohio State, couldn't win the quarterback job there. That's okay. Um, guy in the NFL, a um, couple guys who were in the NFL beat him out. So he transfers to LSU, has, as you mentioned, an okay first year. And what's to say he just, not only all the pieces fit around him, that he also got better. And guess what? Into his first NFL year. Maybe he's going to get a little better. And maybe actually four or five years in, like 
hopefully a lot of stars do in the league that you see, they get better. And so that's where I'm not going to look at Joe Burrow on day two of camp. And back to the flavor of the month, I mean, this could be a guy that just continues to get better because he understands what it takes to work at his game and, and, and what works for his game. And so, yeah, I, I can't be anything but impressed, even though he did struggle in the red zone yesterday. He's an impressive guy. And, man, when you hear Xavier Suofilo, who's really not been around this team in this organization, talk highly of him quickly, and Michael Jordan, who was a teammate, talk talk about how he was then and now and, and, and talk highly of him. And Tyler Boyd, talk, I mean, you're getting guys really quickly buying into this kid. And um, I, I, think, uh, I think they're on to something. I will say that. Well, and, and going back to your comments about, you know, playing on day two with a little live pass rush and the offensive line breaking down around him. A little advice for him. I tell him to get used to that because that's what you're going to be facing more often than not is the offensive line falling on their ass right next to you and the pass rush coming in to hit you. So get used to throwing under those conditions, my man, because that's what you're in for at least for this year and probably next. Yeah. And they've been doing, it's interesting. And and Zach was asked this yesterday. um, They've been doing some, some things in drills where it's it's kind of scramble drill like and it, it's 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 controlled scramble. Where Billy drill. Price is is getting mush rush and slamming his head right back into your lap as you're taking well, the, the. Well, it, it's not just this offensive line. Look around the NFL. What do the best quarterbacks do? I mean, any quarterback in the NFL for the most part can throw from a clean pocket. It's those guys that can do things special when a play breaks down around them and they can create something out of nothing. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes. I mean, all, all those great quarterbacks do that stuff. And so for Joe, one of the things that, that he really did well at LSU was when, it, when a play wasn't there, creating something out of nothing on the fly. And Tyler Boyd talked about how he thinks that his skill set meshes with that, that he says, I run my route so well that, hey, when something breaks down, I know where I'm going to go. I just need to have Joe figure that out. And Joe, you know, you, I've watched them do some drill stuff where he'll do a couple back pedals. They'll, they'll kind of, you know, force him to move at a certain point and then move another way and then make a throw on the run. I think they're really preparing that skill set of Joe Burrow when plays break down. And you know, as you know, I mean, I, I was a big Andy Dalton fan. I still am. And I'll, I'll go to my grave saying he was a very good NFL quarterback. But one thing that I would certainly agree with anybody that would say Andy when a play broke down was not very good that was just not a strong suit Andy's strong suit was making an early read of the defense getting the ball out of his hands getting in the right place at the right time all of those things but when a play broke down Andy Andy broke down and so if Pat or if uh, if, if if Joe Burrow can do those kind of things that's something that you just I think you take for granted sometimes when you see great quarterbacks do it but the great ones have the ability to do it yeah without a doubt the biggest indictment on Andy Dalton's ability is his lack of poise when when pressure's coming after him. So I think no matter what, the Bengals are going to get an upgrade from Joe Burrow there, just based on what we've seen from him already in his college career. I think he's going to handle that better. But even still, you know, the guys you mentioned, you're absolutely right. The the good ones make plays when the pocket is collapsing and, and things are breaking down around them. But those guys are also usually on good teams to an extent where they, they have the chance to gain some confidence too. You do have some clean pockets to throw some. You do have some talent around you. And I think you, you need both if you're, if you're a successful quarterback. Well, and, and, I, and I think Joe has that in theory, right? He's got a 1,000-yard receiver in Tyler Boyd. He's well, got... but, but you need the offensive line to protect you to, to give you a chance. And, and I well, don't I, know I love... if the Bengals have that yet. Well, I mean, look, Andy Dalton wasn't sacked 90 times. He also had plenty of clean pockets to throw from, and Joe's going to have clean pockets to throw from. I don't know about last year. It's a matter of, though, when when it does break down, because it will break down. 
Um, can you make the play? And you've got some guys that can do it. I mean, I think John Ross, one of his skill sets might be just turning a route and saying, you know what, I'm just turning and running deep, and I'm going to put my hand up if I'm open, and hopefully you find me. Well, yeah, because he never knows what the hell route he's running anyway, so that's and probably that's, and, that, and, and that's fine, but you have to have a quarterback to match that skill set, and maybe you've got that. So I think that's some an interesting story to look at as, as things go along of how does Joe do when plays break down, and I think it does fit his skill set to make those plays. All right, aside from Burrow, the Bengals have last year's first-round pick, Jonah Williams, returning from injury. They spent a ton of money in free agency on new pieces. And there's other draft picks like T. Higgins running around with stripes on for the first time. What would you say has been the top storyline since training camp started for the Bengals? The fact that guys like T. Higgins, who are wearing those stripes for the first time, aren't running around. Um, you know, he's dealing with a hamstring issue. He's he's not practiced the two days that we saw. Tyler Boyd actually kind of broke the news to us last week when we talked to him that he hadn't been practicing for a bit, so he's dealing with that issue. And then the first day open to the media, down goes A.J. Green. And um, they're calling it precautionary, and it probably that's all it is right now. Um, you know, they're, they're off as we're doing this on Wednesday. They're off today, so – He got hurt on Monday. There was really probably no reason to push it Tuesday. Zach Taylor said uh, yesterday that they had already planned that he was not going to participate in a scrimmage on Friday. In fact, his quote, and I don't have it specifically in front of me, but it was something along the lines of, I've seen enough in two practices to know I just need that guy for the first game of the season. So um, the question is, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, Rick, I'm at the stage anymore. And I, I even said this before AJ got hurt on Monday of every time I watch him do something good, I'm still holding my breath wondering, is he going to hurt himself? And I swear it was the weirdest thing. There's like three of us standing together. I looked up and and my friend, Tony Pike, our friend, Tony Pike looked up and we both saw at the same time. I said, is he just running around to run around? He goes, I don't know, man, that looks weird. And we just kept watching it and kept watching it. And then a couple other people sauntered over to me and they said, are you watching this? I said, yeah. I said, he's, uh, and then all of a sudden he sat down. They tried to stretch the hamstring. He got up. Tried to run it off again, came back, kind of grimaced a little bit, and it just makes me wonder, are we going to go through, through this on a consistent basis? And my fear is we are. I hope I'm dead wrong, but, I mean, the body of work here in the last, what, two years tends to lend itself to wonder, can this guy stay healthy, right? Yeah, and I mean, immediately, because Twitter is a toxic place in general, and this is yes. where things go, people are saying, you know, he's doing it to sit out again. He's faking it already. Things of I that nature. He doesn't it. want to practice. I don't think AJ Green's that type of guy, personally. I don't I just, either. Uh, I, he, thought, I think it was last year, Rick. I think when the point of diminishing returns came of midway through a winless season, I ain't getting hurt with my contract on the line. Good luck to you guys. And especially if he didn't feel 100%. If he felt, you know, I, 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 I will truly believe he could have played the second half of last year. But I think it was also at the risk of him saying, I could still hurt myself, and why am I doing that on an 0-8 team? With, without my, and at the time, without my starting quarterback, with you throwing this rookie in there, uh-uh, I ain't saving the day. Have a good day. And, and by the way, they're intentionally tanking to try to get Joe Burrow. So, I mean, there, there's that whole part, too, that I don't know the Bengals were exactly trying to force him to get back on the field as quickly as possible either. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think last year's situation is different. That He was legitimately injured. There was – the opportunity to come back if if the Bengals were competitive, maybe. But since they weren't, there was absolutely no reason for him. And I don't think anyone faults him for that, or at least they shouldn't. Um, this would be a different situation, but I don't think any reasonable person honestly believes that A.J. Green is faking this type of stuff. And I'm not saying that it's a serious injury. Like they said, he probably would have stayed in if it was, you know, like if it was a game or anything like that. It was just a, a abundance of caution by the Bengals staff holding him out. But do you think 
fans, I mean, you mentioned it, you're holding your breath every time he goes down. Fans should pretty much be worried about A.J. Green's health at this point, right? He is a guy with a lengthy injury history. Yeah, and I want to go back to your point about about what people think of him jaking it or faking it. Listen, if A.J. Green, let's just let's just use the argument's sake that if you believe he's going to suffer a minor injury and kind of do what he did last year or kind of just say, I'm not going to play, you know what? Nobody is paying him then this off. This is a make it, this is a prove it season for AJ Green. The Bengals are paying him a pretty nice piece of change coming off the injury history. I know he didn't want to be franchise tagged. I understand his part of that. But at the same time, they're paying 18 and a half mil to a guy who's played one game in the last year and a half. That's a pretty good piece of change for a guy with a with a very recent serious injury history at his age. So if if he doesn't play this year. Um, he's not getting paid. So I, I think point. you can put that part to rest, people. But, um, yeah, back to the other thing, I just, I, I'm at that stage where, honestly, every time he goes up for a pass, cuts, has to plant, gets hit. If I'm a fan, if I'm a coach, I'm holding my breath. Yeah, I mean, he's not getting any younger either. You know, it's not like guys' injury history gets better as their career goes on. So uh, there's plenty of red flags there with A.J. Green. Tons of concern. At the same time, I'm not ready to write him off just yet. I think he could still be a, a very productive player for a few more years in the NFL. Yeah, the other part, obviously, is the Trey Waynes injury now. What does that mean for that outside cornerback spot? Um, you know, Darius Phillips is probably going to get first crack at it. And, um, you know, he, he played pretty well the second half of last year, but he also was, was hurt. And, um, you know, he's kind of got a body type that just – he doesn't look like he – he's a really good tackler for his size, and he's a very willing tackler. But at the same time, that when you look at his body, you're like, man, I just don't see you throwing yourself at, at 230-pound running backs coming around the edge very often, my man. Good luck to you. Um, and, and then after that, you're, you're kind of suddenly thin at cornerback. I mean, you have William Jackson, you have Mackenzie Alexander, and Alexander's more of a slot guy. But, you know, right now it's, it's, it's probably Darius Phillips and then LaShawn Sims, who's been pretty much a career backup at Tennessee and is mostly a special teams guy. And then the kid from Canada, Winston Rose, and a, and a uh, Packers cast off Tony Brown. Um, we'll see how Darius does the first, you know, first couple of weeks of the season, and hopefully he does well, stays healthy and all that. But I, I've got to think if the Bengals don't like what they see throughout the, the rest of this camp, and it's, it's going to be hard to evaluate. You've got a couple of inter-squad scrimmages, right? But you don't have other teams you're playing against to evaluate. So your really evaluation is going to be the first few weeks of the year. You may have to go out and get somebody because it, it doesn't sound like Trey Waynes is going to be back probably until at least December at the earliest. Yeah, and we mentioned last week when we were talking about his injury initially that he was going for a second opinion and everything. Well, he got that. He ended up having the surgery. And so it's at least – two plus months before he's he's going to be back if uh, not more I think William Jet when William Jackson had that injury as a rookie Rick um we we, we looked this up. I think he was mid-November when William could have come back but that was at a time where um you could only designate one guy for return and the Bengals at that point decided they didn't think Will was going to come back in time they designated Cedric Pierman for return um and so Will ended up sitting out the whole year this year's different this year because of all the COVID stuff and guys are going to you know go in and out of this COVID list um, they the, the league has determined that you can have unlimited people that go on IR and that you can pluck off of, of, of IR at any time. So, I mean, maybe you get lucky and you get Wayne's back by early November, but truth be told, it's probably December-ish at best. Well, and the thing that really sucks about losing Wayne's is, aside from the fact that the Bengals seem to always lose key pieces before practice even starts, like before it's even I mean, dude, Sean, Williams got, Sean Williams got hurt in position drills yesterday. Yeah. Got carted off. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, I mean, going back a few years, you had what Andrew Billings and, um, and yeah. William Jackson had similar type stuff where it was really, really Jonah, early on. Um, Jonah, Jonah Williams. Williams. Yeah. 
I mean, it's just a, a history now for this team where this just always seems to happen. And what really sucks about losing Trey Waynes is the Bengals invested – the defense was a disaster. They needed to upgrade it pretty much all the way through at every position group. They spent a lot of money on the defensive line, which arguably is where they had the most depth already, uh, but because they felt they could make the biggest impact there. And they spent some good money in the secondary and pretty much completely ignored their linebacking crew aside from the draft with with young guys who down the line hopefully can can fill some roles for you. But in terms and, of and – Josh, And Josh Bynes. I, I, you know, don't, don't discount. I don't think it's a great move, but at least they did sign Josh Bynes. Right, but I mean in terms of like money that they spent yeah, no, and, right. and You're right. making plays, they, they focused most of their energy on de- defensive line and secondary. No doubt. And now you already lose the biggest piece that you spent on out of that secondary. It's like I – mean, it just it's tough. It's a tough hit because – It is. They, they tried to do – something on defensive end. I don't know if it was the exact right decisions. You can argue that if maybe they, they need but to it, focus more of their energy or money on linebacker, but they went out and made moves and they, they did still something ended up screwed. Oh, I know that's, that's what's incredible. They did, they did what you wanted. They did something right. Um, and something's better than nothing. And then it blows up in their face and that, uh, you know, that's, that's the unfortunate part of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, very quickly, I mean, who knows? We'll, maybe we'll see Drake or Patrick here before the season's all said and done. Yeah, that, that honestly wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, we know yeah. they're going to be scrambling at linebacker. To have them scrambling and looking at young guys or retreads at cornerback, too, is, is, is going to be kind of frustrating, to be honest. But No doubt. Uh, one, one other note, um, and, and just watching Jonah Williams yesterday, they did uh, some, some one-on-one pass blocking stuff uh, where different guys um, you know, lined up and went against different offensive linemen. Jonah Williams had a chance against Sam Hubbard, and I, I'll tell you what, he's, he's got really good feet, um, and I thought he did a good job strength-wise. You know, looking at Jonah last year, body-wise, he was one of those guys, usually you look at those linemen in the locker room, and, you just, and you've been in those locker rooms, you're like, dad, go on, look at the size of that cat. That's just a big human being. And Jonah just kind of looked like a, like a big, like, like your big friend, but not like your massive big friend, you know, just a kind of a big lug, for lack of a better term. And I kept looking going, man, he just doesn't look like he's got NFL strength. Um, but boy, he stoned, he stoned Sam Hubbard with, with just, he took a, his two hands and put it right in his chest, showed great footwork. Um, it was really encouraging. It's just a one-on-one, just a single rep in practice. It's probably nothing to jump over the moon about, but it was like, man, he's, there's some things there that you, you would, you would really have to like about him. And, and hopefully uh, that's a good start for him. All right. Good stuff. Anything else on the Bengals or uh, start of training camp before we switch gears here to baseball? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the scrimmage plays out on Friday. Cause usually the, 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 the uh, that's kind of my first kind of test of seeing some things live. I mean, it, it was a chance where AJ, um, you know, and, and ended up actually having to start some games. That was the year Andy got hurt and started some games to massage him to the playoffs. Um, you just kind of at least see some stuff with, with some live speed. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that on Friday. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, with a little more live stuff, how does Joe react with a little more live stuff? How does, uh, how does Darius Phillips uh, play at that corner spot? So, yeah, I, I think the Friday scrimmage will be interesting because, you know, they only have the two scrimmage games. There's no preseason games. And so they have to treat these scrimmage games probably with a little more intensity and purpose than, than normal scrimmage games. So, yeah, I, I'm looking really forward to that on Friday morning. The Reds had their weekend wiped out by the coronavirus. We found out on Friday night that one of the players tested positive right after the team finished its 8-1 win over the Pirates. They then had Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday's games postponed as a result of the positive test. They'll get back to action today, which Thursday, or excuse me, they'll get back to action today, which is Wednesday as we're recording this, with a doubleheader against the Royals starting at 5.05 p.m., Skinny, what potential impact do you think the positive test will have on the Reds in the immediate future? And 
what do you think these team outbreaks mean for the MLB going forward this season? Like, what should they do with the Cardinals, for instance? See, I, I want more transparency with this. Um, okay, so if he tested positive, and we don't know who it is, and I get there's some rules why you don't. Um, we all assume it was Nick Senzel, right? Because he was the guy that was pulled out of the handshake line very abruptly on Friday night. Um, you know, are these teams – is that, is that when they got the test back for Nick Senzel was just as they're going through the handshake line? That's a little yeah. concerning yeah, to me. David, David Bell claims that he found out before the second to last pitch of the game, and he, he believes that li- that's when their personnel found out was right before they alerted him. Yeah, and I, I don't think Which, David's lying. I think the I believe- reaction was, was, was really almost, oh, God, get Nick out of the handshake line now. Um, it, it just feels like there's not a lot of transparency. Then we go a couple of days of, of a not knowing, are they going to play Monday or not? And you're waiting for more negative tests. So if, if they're able to play, you know, they weren't able then to play on Tuesday. And my question is what's changing from Tuesday to Wednesday to be able to play the double header that literally we've, we've, we, we don't even know from Friday other than one guy testing positive what's transpired since then. Um, if it's just the one guy and he quarantined, and I know there's a couple of days you usually have to wait, and that's fine. So that's Saturday and Sunday to me. If by the end of Sunday going into Monday you tested negative, why did you not play Tuesday? So if you didn't test negative, then why are you playing? There just doesn't seem to be a lot of transparency with this, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I, I think um, the player who tested positive, which, again, like you mentioned, we assume is Sinzel. No, and that's the funny part to this is they, they – they, they don't want the name to be said. Right, the but then he's going to be out there. But then you know when they make the transaction of putting him on the IL that he's the guy. And, right. and the funny part is when people, people ask, well, why haven't they, they done anything yet? Because they haven't played a game. They don't need to make a roster transaction until they play a game. So you're going to know that's who it was and why it was. They don't have to say it. Um, so to me, it's just, you know, I, I know baseball's trying to do the best they can, and I think they are. Um, I just think it's showing these teams that it can strike anytime, anywhere, and you just hope that – it gets mitigated quickly that you don't have to miss a ton of games. I mean, for the Reds, they do play the Pirates a couple of more times, so you're going to turn a, a couple of what were going to be single games into seven-inning doubleheaders, and you can live with that. Tonight, you're going to make up that Royals miss with, with two seven-inning doubleheaders. That seems to be okay, but I think the one thing is, you know, if you miss a couple of games, that's one thing. When you miss what the Cardinals did, I good luck to them making up the rest of this. They're going to try, and they're going to have to try, because you can't have one team playing 45 and another playing 60 and deem those guys in the playoffs. I think there almost has to be, a, uh, honestly, Rick, a, a minimum number of games you have to play in order to make the playoffs, right? Well, I think that's exactly what they have to do. I, I'm fully on the camp that you cannot go by winning percentage, which has been thrown exactly. out there as a potential solution no. for the Cardinals, and I don't think that's a possibility at all. I mean, it, and, unless you meet games. a minimum, unless you meet a minimum, if your minimum, you say the minimum you guys have to play is 54 games, 55 games, right? Be- be- uh, th- then okay, I-, I can give you winning percentage, but I can't go winning percentage when one team is playing 60 and one team is playing 34. No way. Right. I think it has to be with the, I mean, I would say within more like five games of everybody else, but everyone has to be within five games of each other in terms of overall, but maybe, maybe you could stretch that out to like 10 ish. But again, I mean, when you're only talking about 60 games to begin with 10 games is a lot. I mean, that's a big percentage of your schedule that you're not playing. So that that's a tough solution for me. I don't know what the, the best answer for the Cardinals is. It seems like it's going to be tough for them to fit all these games in because it'd be hard to do what they're trying to do to begin with. And then you factor in the, the potential for more games to be missed because everybody so far in the NL Central 
has missed games already this season due to positive coronavirus tests. So yeah, whether, whether, whether it was their own team being tested positive or them or being affected in a series, right, yeah. Yeah, um, but, I mean, you look at the Cubs are 15-7 and seven in first place. They've played 22 games. The Brewers have played 21. They're four and a half games behind them at 10-11. The Reds have played 20 games. They're five behind them at 9-11. And the Pirates have played 19 games. They're four and 15, nine and a half games back of the Cubs. So all of those teams are within – two to three games with each other, even the Reds after the games they've missed, are only two games behind the Cubs in terms of how many they've played. The Cardinals sit at just 11 games right now. I mean, that's – I don't know how they're going to fix that. I know they're going to try to play a ton of doubleheaders. It seems like that's asking for some trouble in terms of uh, pitching injuries. Uh, but either way, I, I think – I think you can let the Cardinals try to make up as much as they can, but you have to put in some type of cutoff for amount of games for them to qualify. Yeah, I'd say 54 maybe. Um, yeah, I'm that good with that. Six, that's the 10th of the season. That's still a lot, to be honest with you. But right. uh, 54 to me, and, and, and honestly, I'd say this, if you don't make the 54 minimum, I don't care where you are in the standings, you don't make the playoffs. It's that simple. I agree, and that sucks, but that's that's the way it is. Like That's how the season goes. Some. We knew someone had the potential to have their season ruined by coronavirus. Heck, we knew the whole season for the entire league could be ruined by coronavirus. If you're the team that got hit, it does suck, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. Life's not always fair, and I think that's one of those situations. For the Reds, going back to the way things worked out, to be honest, it sucked because it felt like, you know, okay, they get that big win on Friday, 8-1. to one. They've got their, their top of their rotation coming back with Castillo and Bauer to start off the weekend with the Pirates, and you get those games delayed. But now that they've been delayed all the way until Wednesday, you get Moustakis back for the lineup, it sounds like, um, and you get two seven-inning games in the doubleheader, which means the potential for Bauer and Castillo to maybe – pitch complete games and not have to rely on the bullpen. So it kind of ended up working out well for the Reds, other than they didn't get to play those two against the Pirates this weekend to continue their momentum, but they'll get to make those up, theoretically. Yeah, no, ag- agreed. And, um, you know, you're right. Maybe you don't have to have David Bell overmanaged tonight. Maybe we can just kind of sit back and watch a game unfold for a change. Yeah, I mean, maybe he, he uh, won't get to his pinch runners before the end of the seventh and the Reds will actually win. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. All right, Skitty. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an emergency authorization on Saturday allowing public use of a saliva-based test for the coronavirus developed at Yale University and, University and funded by the NBA and the National Basketball Players Association. This test, known as Saliva Direct, which I got to be honest, sounded something more like you would find at one of Larry Flint's stores than a, a medical uh, thing, is designed for widespread public screening. The cost per sample could be as low as about $4.00 though the cost to consumers will likely be higher than that, perhaps around 15 or 20 in some cases, which is much better than the like $100 that test costs right now. Depending on the proximity of the lab, consumers could get results back within a few hours of testing. Do you think this newly approved spit test for COVID-19 could be a factor in us being able to have sports this fall and winter? I think it's great. Um, you know, kudos to the NBA. Um, They've done a lot of things right through this, and if if this proves and and the stories I've seen uh, say that it's it's 
as accurate as as the the uh, the nose swab test. So, um, and you can argue the validity of the nose swab test too with some of the false positives coming back. But the fact that at least you get this back quickly, you know, maybe then if it's a false positive, you test again quickly the next day or within maybe even hours again um, of that, and then realizing it is a false positive. So, I mean, I, I think it's great. I think it shows that that when you're forced to innovate, sometimes, and I think that's what's great about this country. A lot of times, when you're forced to innovate. There are some smart minds out there that can find ways to innovate. And the NBA has a lot of, um, has a lot of capital. They had a lot invested in making this bubble work. They, they've, they found a test that seems to work. They've seemed to make the bubble work. All those things, I, I think it's great. And the fact that then you can take the, that, that's something that was used to pretty much allow your sport to go on and use it for the general populace. I mean, how, how great is that? Well, it's interesting because I – I hadn't read about this and I didn't know we had like a spit test. I didn't know that was a thing. And I guess it wasn't until just recently. Yeah. I, I, I watch it. it. It's really, it looks literally simple. You spit into the bottom of a little tube and shake it up and send it on. Well, interestingly enough, I watched Trevor Bauer's vlog after the whole coronavirus thing was found out on Friday night. And he shows in his vlog, the reds pulling and he pulls in and he spits into a tube. It sounds like exactly what this test was. So it sounds like the reds were already using. Yeah, this maybe. exact form and we didn't know and that would make a lot of sense and I assume the NFL has probably implemented this a lot you look at what the NFL is doing they have uh, through Tuesday over 109,000 tests have, have been administered they have 0.46 percent positive overall so the NFL while they're expecting a lot more cases to appear is doing something right to this point. The players don't seem to be going out too much on their own they must be pretty much just going to practice and going home and while they're there all the social distancing thing, like the wristbands that are blinking green or red if you're not socially distanced properly, uh, um, and, and just all the, I guess, sanitation protocols that they put in place seem to be working well enough. Um, they're testing every day right now, and I think that's a big part of this. If you can test regularly and say, okay, you've, you've got it, we're going to quarantine you, everybody else go on with it. I mean, that's one of the big things with the Reds situation that surprised me is you, you see one guy test positive, and if it was Senzel, which we all believe it to be, he was right in the middle of that Joey Votto walk-off celebration right, a few nights right. before. So yep. the idea that he could test positive and no one else did for the Reds, to me, would be a very positive sign. Yes, I've said that a thousand times about all this stuff. That's the part to me that the overreaction of, oh my gosh, this team has three guys test positive. Let's shut down college football. No, that's a good sign because it, it, it shows that you're nipping in the bud. And again, nobody's going to the hospital yet with this. And I know it's going to be the fear-mongering other side of it that says, well, one's too many. Oh, please. I mean, I, I think the positive of this is this is not a death sentence for this age group of people. It is just not. They are healthy adults in a demographic range that, that you know, they, they don't even get serious consequences from this. Okay, they don't. So let's stop overreacting to it, Big Ten, Pac-12. Although, let's stop overreacting to unionizing. But never mind. Anyway, um, I, I, well, to bring up the, the college football thing, I legitimately believe this spit thing could be – exactly what the sec and the acc and the big 12 were waiting for like Maybe. i honestly believe because this is why you kick the can down on the road because everyone's been saying we need improved testing we need something to come along 
to me, this is that because the biggest issues with colleges being able to test daily, like the NFL could afford to test their players every day. Correct. Correct. They, ju- they Correct. just could. And they could, and I don't know how long it's taking, but it seems like uh, based on what happened with the Reds the other night, the professional leagues have it to a couple of hours. I mean, if he, they're tested right when they get to the ballpark. So if they found out in the end of the game, it sounds like it took four or five hours to get through all the tests. Maybe if it only costs four or $5 or let's say even $10 per player, the major colleges, like, you know, uh, Alabama, for instance, Clemson, they could test their players two times a day and it'd be no big deal at all. I mean, that's, they spend more money on Gatorades every day than they would on COVID-19 tests at that point. And if you can test every player twice a day, you're going to be able to contain this virus pretty well, I would assume, based on what we know right now. And and that's, that's all you can do is do the best you can based on the information we have currently. I know it sounds crazy, but this is exactly why you kick the can down the road if you were all those college leagues and keep saying, we're going to go on as planned um, until we either can anymore because of the outbreaks or because of the information we have. And the big, I I really think this spit test alone could be something that, that really makes the big 10 and the PAC 12 look stupid. And, and and to your point, it it was always probably more about the players looking for control than it was COVID-19 anyways, and their actual safety. But I think this is something that, could really save sports this fall and winter. Yeah, like I said, I mean, you know, that, that's the great part about this country, man. There's a lot of smart people, and when you're forced to innovate, you go innovate, and they've found an innovation, and, and thank goodness it, it's it's proven to, to work to this point, and good for the NBA to basically share this with the public and say, listen, here's what we're doing. It's working. Um, do you want to try it? Go try it. Go well, use it. Can, can we just get, like, uh, Silver and the NBA's people to run our country? Like, <laughs> this is the most efficient <laughs> – innovation we've had this whole time their protocols have been the best their bubble worked out the best they they leaped into action the quickest they it was like no nonsense they knew exactly what they were going to do they had a plan in place it's worked perfectly and oh yeah they might have developed a new test that could save the entire country while they were in the process and they're not asking for a dime from it they just no i just as a as a good deed to the rest of the country because they think it can save people and and rick i mean you're you're, you've watched as much of this i mean it, it it's not basketball where you're playing like in the backyard where you're giving a guy 10 feet because you don't want to rub against his sweaty body I mean, these guys are banging and bumping and playing like it's oh and they're like hugging each a, other and wrapping their yeah, arm no, around each other's yeah, neck off the no, court it, the whole time yeah i mean it, it, exactly i mean i was watching the the, the playing game sunday and and uh, poor yurkich's grandmother obviously passed away from covid she was you know in a demographic that probably sadly it affected her greatly over in uh Croatia, wherever it was. Um, but there were his teammates after the game. He's exhausted because he just played his ass off, and they're hugging him around the neck and, and hugging him in a very meaningful way for a long period of time. And in theory, you're like, well, that ain't exactly social distancing, but they've all tested, so they all feel pretty safe around each other now, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. When you've got the bubble they've got, they seem to all just be kind of living normally. And, and that's a, a different situation. I've already said there's no way college sports could do that. But if you can test multiple times a day or at least once a day and you're getting the, the results back in hours, and by the way, this isn't something that like needs to be produced and shipped out. This is apparently something that like every lab in the country has already. They all, it's just chemicals that you're mixing in with the spit in a tube. And that's how, that's how the process – again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. But yeah, no, I, I watched the report. How this, the this is what it seems like. to work. Yeah, I watched a report. I think it was on CBS – 
morning news, and I think we ran it on local twelve as a you know a story that a national story that we got from them, um, and that's exactly what it looks like. It looks literally as simple as spitting into that little vial, for lack of a better term, shaking some kind of solution in it, putting it through some kind of whatever testing thing, and within hours you go positive or negative. Right. And I mean, uh, I mean, I mean th- think about think about this. I mean, back in the day, and I ain't a doctor, and I don't play one on TV. But you know, as as time evolved, you'd have to go to the doctor to determine if you were pregnant, and then they developed a little pee test, right? I mean, eventually, you, you innovate. I mean, who, that who knew well that said. women who knew that women could pee on a stick and determine if they were pregnant or not? Amen, brother. And on that note. <laughs> I mean, honestly, my mother, I guarantee you, my mother didn't know that. She had to go see, see the doctor. The doctor said, yeah, that bump is you're three months pregnant, ma'am. Um, as opposed to now you go, I might be pregnant. I don't know if I am. I shouldn't have had sex with Fred last, last week, but let me test. Oh gosh. Yep. I am. I peed ma'am, on the stick. You should probably stop drinking your vodkas. <laughs> uh, Xavier landed another new commitment over the weekend when 2021 forward Elijah Tucker out of Georgia announced that he'll be a musketeer. He picked XU over schools such as Georgia Tech, Clemson, Furman, East Carolina, and others. Tucker marks Xavier's second commitment in the 2021 class as he joined 6'10 big man Cesar Edwards. However, Travis Steele and his staff have also landed a group of transfers this offseason. Nate Johnson and Brian Griffin are both grad transfers that will play this year. And Ben Stanley and Adam Kunkel have two years of eligibility left still. Stanley is seeking a waiver to play immediately this season, while Kunkel will redshirt this year and start his eligibility in 21-22. Skinny, which Xavier commit from this offseason are you expecting the most from when they suit up for the Musketeers? Stanley's the interesting one because I I don't even know if we talked about this. Did you know he had his name in for the NBA draft? Yeah, yeah. It obviously took it out. Right, he he just wanted to get feedback like a lot of guys at that level do. Yeah, but it was just interesting when I was going through that list. We talked a few weeks ago, and I went, oh, Ben Stanley did that too. And and he actually did it, I guess, before he even transferred to Xavier, um, which makes sense. But I guess he's the most interesting one, but I also think he's the guy that could use that, that off year. I don't think he wants – if he was thinking of at least getting some feedback this year, does he really want to sit for a full year and then play another year? Well, and, then the, think of- and the big issue is he redshirted his first year. Right, right. At, yeah, so, he, so he's already – he would lose a year of eligibility right now. He would only have one left if he redshirted this year. So, yeah, he, so- he really can't sit out this year. He has to get eligible right away or he's just going to cost himself a full year of eligibility. Yeah, he's the most interesting one, but it's 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 actually a guy that's technically going to be he's not in this class, but he's going to be new to this year's team. It's the most interesting for me. And that's Deontay Miles. I, oh. I just I I think he's got so much upside. He just he he reminded me a bit of Jackson Hayes. And I watched Jackson Hayes develop. I coached AAU against Deontay Miles when he was a middle school player, coached against him at the high school level, and just kept watching him evolve. And the funny part was, Rick, I didn't see him his senior year. We played against him as a sophomore and junior when I was coaching at Beachwood. We did not play them his senior year. So I didn't see him his senior year at all until I went to the state tournament. And then all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, my man's got an offensive game now. Oh, my goodness. And he's still just kind of a gazellish kind of kid that you're like, there's still so much upside there. And I'm telling you, if anybody had seen Jackson Hayes as a junior, I know my friend Carl Kramer gets, gets questioned all the time of how did that guy not start for you as a junior? Trust me, on the team he was on, he wasn't good enough to start as a junior. But by the time he was a senior, old boy blossomed. And then he went to Texas for one year. And I know Darren Horn was an assistant probably hoping to God. In fact, I think you've talked to him about this of, you know, they, they kind of tried to not play him a lot right away. And it was almost like, well, gosh, he's so good. We got to play him. And then we're going to play him and probably lose him. Oh, well. Um, and it just, it, it, it feels like it clicks for those guys. So for me, and I know he's not in the class. I know he's not in the question you asked, but that's the most interesting kind of newcomer to me is Deontay Miles. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, Deontay, the biggest thing was fixing his body. He was just so thin yes. and lacked so, so strength. Thin. Yes. Um, and he, he took last year to redshirt. I had my doubts about how well that that weight would stick, especially with the pandemic and all the guys leaving campus and going home because they really had to watch what he was eating closely and and make sure he's working out the right way every single day so so he didn't lose that weight. I mean, he would go home for two weeks during break last year and he'd lose 14 pounds or something. Yeah, dude, he just has that – yeah, he just has that body type too that you just – I don't know if he's ever going to be a physical monster, but, yeah, he's got to get stronger, no doubt. Yeah, but that being said, now that they are all back on campus and, and working out together, he looks good. I mean, he has definitely added strength. His shoulders and, and chest and, and all that neck, everything looks different. He's definitely added some strength. So I'm interested to see what he's doing. You mentioned Ben Stanley. I've heard really positive reports. I mean, he's only been on campus for like a week and a half or something, maybe less than that, and then he had to get tested and everything. So right. he just started working out with the guys. But already I've heard some high praise for him, just that you know he's even – bigger stronger more explosive in person than he looked on film and and that he's already fitting in uh pretty well so i think a lot of people are going to be excited to see what ben stanley brings to the table for me though to answer this question it's cesar edwards uh elijah tucker the new guy that they just added uh this past week really interesting prospect i think he has a lot of upside he kind of reminds me of like a cross i think if if everything goes according to plan an ideal situation would be he'd be kind of like a cross between travis taylor and Kaiser Gates. And um, okay. from the Travis Taylor perspective, I think you think quick twitch, leaper, quick off the floor, beats guys to the rim with maybe a dribble or two if he's, if he's posted up or facing up a little farther away from the basket instead of being on the block. A nice little jump hook, can finish from weird angles. Again, just a really good rebounder and, and high motor type of guy. And then with Kaiser Gates, he is a good spot-up shooter, similar to Kaiser. So you kind of got that aspect working. If he could, he could sort of match the way Kaiser played as a spot-up shooter, pick-and-pop type of guy, and also some of the defensive versatility that Kaiser brought. That was something that I didn't see from Kaiser as a prospect when he was in high school, similar with Elijah Tucker. I haven't exactly seen it from him yet that he's going to be a guy that can go out on the perimeter and guard opposing wings. But if he can do that and he has the quick enough feet and he has the length to be that type of guy potentially – then his value really uh, really jumps up there if he can be a guy that guards multiple spots for you. So I think Elijah Tucker is a nice piece. There's a lot of upside. He's planning on redshirting his first year, at least. I think Xavier's coaches are planning on him redshirting his first year when he arrives on campus. So this is more of a down-the-line play. The guy I'm most excited to see is Cesar Edwards because, to be honest with you, and, and every year during the spring, I do what's called a hot board where I kind of rank Xavier's top recruits at each position and say this is who they're, they're really focused on targeting. Cesar Edwards was the top guy on the big man list. And to be honest with you, when I was told to put him on there, I was kind of like, okay. I mean, (laughs) you guys have no chance of getting this guy, but okay. And I put him on there, and lo and behold, they got him. But like after watching him, my thought was he is too good to end up at Xavier. And I think they might have got a little help from the pandemic, the fact that he wasn't on the AAU scene this spring and didn't have that chance to blow up. He just started playing, you know, and I think they started playing some games in July. But he's the guy to me that, that has the most talent. Just with that length, that offensive skill set, he can step out and shoot it a little bit. He can even handle and pass a little bit. He's the one that really, to me, could be special. And I think he's already a really talented player that should, should make uh, an impact pretty early in his career. It's going to be interesting. I mean, the, the, the transfer portal is already a major thing, right? We've talked a lot about it. But, yeah. but this, this year's class – I wonder how many guys are going to get under-recruited, go to the smaller school, tear it up, 
and and because they weren't able to showcase themselves this summer, then after one year go, yeah, I'm going somewhere else. I, I think you're going to have a larger percentage of that. For some reason, I don't know why I say that and feel that, but it just feels like um, – you know, there's just there's going to be a lot of under recruited guys because that junior year is such a big year for a lot of guys that or that junior into senior summer right, is yep. big for a lot of guys for that final AAU look. Um, you know, some grow a couple more inches, some develop a little part of their game. You know, they're just still developing players or still developing sometimes uh, physically. Uh, I think you're going to see a chunk. You're going to you're going to see some guy in some mid major, and you're going to go, "How did he wind up there?" And you're going to look back and go, "Oh, because he didn't have that AAU summer to showcase himself." So, I, I think this this next off season will be funny to see how that translates. Well, I think you're absolutely right, and then you're going to see the flip side of it too, where coaches right, are right. desperate. They're like, "We don't have a commitment yet," and all they've I done is a watched a guy on film, and they go, right. "Well, he, he scored 30 in that game I watched. Uh, we're going to offer him," and they get that guy to campus and. Kid He's has, a dud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just doesn't work hard or didn't have any other skill, whatever. You know, I mean, it's the type of stuff that happens all the time, but I agree with you that I think it will be magnified this year because of the lack of opportunity to see these guys in the spring where really a lot of coaches, you know, they've put in the work already. They know who they're targeting, whatever, but they do a bulk of their work during that early spring period when they first get on the road um, in the, the evaluation period during April. So I totally agree with you there. And, you know, locally it's been interesting to see sort of the tactics that the coaches have taken where Xavier's added players all offseason, whether they be transfers that are going to impact immediately right. or, uh, you know, recruits for 2021. They've landed a couple already. John Brandon has been kind of like the opposite. He, he landed some transfers for this year, but in terms of 2021, he has been very much in the camp of like, we can't evaluate these guys enough. I right. don't want to take the wrong guy. So he's been very, very selective. Um, only had a few guys really on his list that he felt confident in and saying they're an offer and they're a guy we would take. And they're going to let things play out and maybe, you know, wait a and little get, longer get, in the school season. Yeah, and I get that. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable, don't, don't blow a scholarship on it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works out for both sides when you know we get into 2022 or 2023 and see, okay, how many of those guys at Xavier lasted? How many right. guys did UC end up with that were contributors? All of that stuff. So yep. it's, it's funny to compare the two programs because they're in such a similar spot in the college basketball landscape. All right, Skinny, it's time for our favorite segment of the podcast, time for Ask Skinny Anything, where people send in their questions for you, and uh, we discuss them, no matter what they are, really. And we'll start this one off with a little help I got from one of our friends that we both know well. I was texting with him last night, so I guess he told me a story, and now I have a question from hearing a story about you. And oh I would my. ask you, how many times, exactly how many times have you ridden in the trunk of a car? Um, At least once, and... <laughs> I don't know who you were texting with, but I think I know where this story comes from. So we were down, I was doing NKU radio. That'd be the one. And, and we traveled to uh, to Georgia. It was a it was a kind of a Thursday, Saturday, or a Friday. Kennesaw Sunday, State, as I hear. Kennes Kennesaw State, and then the second part of that was Mercer. So we're staying in a hotel and decide uh, there's like six of us, maybe seven of us. We're going to go to a local bar to watch some basketball, have a beer. It was the day, you know, we went to shoot around the day before the game and a couple of coaches went. So um, it turned out that there were, we just had too many for the one car. And we literally only had the one car because um, we all bust down. I don't even know how, I think somebody, one person drove down for some reason. So that was the only car we had. I said, you know what? I'll go in the trunk. And they're like, no, you won't. I said, yeah, I said, it's probably not safe. I said, but it's only what, three miles. I said, yeah, 3.2. I said, it's a 10 minute car ride. I'll, I'll go in the trunk. I will say. It's so interesting because 
You're in this just black hole of silence, and all you hear is the pavement and the road. You have no idea what's going on around you. I can hear them laughing because they, they, they think it's hilarious. Um, they, also I'm think I'm an, I, they also think I'm an idiot probably too. Um, and, and honestly, it, I was no worse for the wear. We got there. They popped the trunk. I popped out, went and had a few beers, popped back in the trunk, got back to the hotel, and went to bed. So uh, that I, I've snuck into a couple drive-in theaters back in the day in the trunk of a car. That used to be a thing that, 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 that my generation did, and that's when – drive-in theaters were a thing you'd pile you know you'd put two people one in the front seat you know one in the driver's seat one in the passenger seat so you wouldn't didn't look like you're an idiot going to the drive-in movie by yourself as a teenager and then two or three people would pile in the trunk of a car and then you'd sneak in that way that was always a thing to do oh so you didn't pay by the car lid back then it was by the person by the yeah, yeah exactly i think they've gotten smarter because i'm pretty sure they all do it by the car lid now they just charge <laughs> you like a 20 dollar flat fee and Probably a wiser way to do it, to be honest with you. Yeah, pile in as many as you want. So I do have a couple of quick uh, question and a comment. You So it's not like – so you can breathe just fine in a trunk and you're not yeah. like claustrophobic or anything, yeah. I guess? I, I, I wouldn't tell you that I would get in the trunk of a car and drive from here to Atlanta. Um, but for a 10 minute car ride, yeah, I was totally fine. Yeah. Because I knew the, that, that it was going to now, if we had gotten rear ended, that probably would have not been a good thing. I, the only thing no. I told them, as I said, is, is just make sure somebody's not tailgating you. If they are slow down and make them go around. I said, that's the only thing I fear. So yeah. Um, well, and, okay. So here's my, my second thing. Did it ever like, while you're in there alone with your thoughts, did you ever consider like pulling one of the headlights out and trying to get them pulled over for like taking someone hostage in the back of the car? Cause that would have been a pretty funny prank. Yeah, it would have probably been, except I was probably the one committing the illegal act by getting my own self in the trunk of a car. So I probably might have been the one to go to jail for something like that. Yeah, only if you tell them the truth, though. You could have just legitimately held up the story that they were kidnapping you. I would have thought about it. It would have made for a good story, an even better story than you already had. Yeah, there you go. This person says, we're going to need to discuss the Tatis incident. Baseball has had some bad looks, but a 21-year-old superstar in the making being paraded up and forced to apologize for still trying in a game might just be the worst. Uh, yeah, so he's talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. Yep. for the Padres. Hit a grand slam the other night in, a, I think it was like a seven-run game or six? No, yes, seven-run game. I think, was, I think it was 10-3 to three at the time, and he swung yep. at a 3-0 pitch and hit a grand slam. Right, exactly. And it was in the seventh, bottom of the seventh inning, I believe. Something like that. It was yeah, not, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was late enough. Listen, I, I've, I, I, go ahead. Finish, finish your thought on well, it. Well, no, so, the, so they end up like throwing behind the next batter, uh, which was Hosmer. Hosmer goes into the dugout, talks to Tatis, like tells him that he shouldn't be hitting grand slams. Tatis gets told to go out and apologize for it after the game. Uh, he is kind of honestly doesn't even seem like he knows what he's apologizing for because quite honestly, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about either. Uh, the manager threw him under the bus. His own manager threw him under the bus after the game. Uh, the, the opposing manager didn't like it. He made comments after the game. What the hell is going on with baseball skinny? Because I, for one, I didn't even know this was like an unwritten rule. I had never heard that you shouldn't hit a grand slam or that you had to take a three Oh pitch um, in a game that you're winning a bunch by. This seems totally ridiculous to me, and I totally agree with the person who said it's a bad law. You know, it's been a thing. I don't know if what there's there's never been a line of demarcation of what the specific run number is, but it's kind of it has been. And I'm I'm not going to defend it because I'm going to give you my point here in a second. But just to answer your question, it has been a thing. Of there's a kind of protocol of listen, you know, if you're beating the crap out of a team, don't show them up by swinging at a three zero crip fastball down the middle. Uh, um, But it's seven runs. I know. Hear me out. I'm, I'm going to finish my point here. So that, but I'm telling you well, that's what the kind of the rule is. I don't know what the line of demarcation is. It's seven runs, eight runs, nine runs, 10 runs, 12 runs. No one's ever given you the, what the line of demarcation is. And so I'm going to use an example, Rick, from last night. Um, give me one second here. Oh, they don't have the box score. There was at least one game, if not two from last night 
I think for sure, definitely one game. Phillies Red Sox. The Phillies scored seven runs in an inning when they were behind, I think at the time, like three to two, four to two, something like that. But they scored seven runs in an inning. Uh, there was, I think, I swear there was another game last night, Rick, and I hate to do this because it makes me sound like an idiot that I'm stumbling around with this, but I think there was another game last night where another team scored five or six runs in an inning. In today's baseball, it happens in the blink of an eye. Fred, you know I like to use the word Fred. Fred comes in, and Fred walks two guys, gives up a bloop, gives up another bloop, and suddenly a home run. And despite the fact that maybe he didn't pitch awful, it's become a quick six-run inning. That's just baseball today. It's a lot of all of a sudden you look up and, yeah, guys strike out at alarming rates. Um, it's an all-or-nothing game. But sometimes the all-or-nothing is walk, walk, bloop, maybe ground single home run. And it's like, wait a minute, he just gave up five runs in the blink of an eye. Um, I, I would suggest this, 3-0, you, you, you don't want to get hit out of the ballpark? Throw one on the edge? Throw a breaking ball? Hell, don't throw the guy a strike. I, I don't think he has anything to apologize for. Not in today's baseball. Um, you could argue maybe years ago when the game wasn't played the way it is. And again, no. I, I, I don't know what the line of demarcation is. I don't think anybody's ever set that line. Uh, you know, so, so here's the thing. If, if you don't want Tatiste to swing 3-0 and hit a grand slam, then you need to promise the other team that, you know what, we won't score seven runs and come back on you in the next two innings, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The line of demarcation is when you bring in your position player to pitch because the game yeah, is over. Yeah, okay, yes that's, yes. that's when I'm taking the 3-0 pitch and not embarrassing you. Okay, Until yeah. then, when you've got pitchers in and you're going to have your best hitters in the next inning and try to score, which, by the way, their manager made an exact comment after the game of saying, I love how our guys don't quit. We always fight to the last out, da 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 Exactly. If you're going to fight to the last out, why do I have to stop? This isn't basketball where I can take a press off. I'm swinging at a pitch. Like, we have to do that to advance the game. There's no shot clock to run out. I can't just stand here. Fernando Tatis just playing the game as it's meant to be played. By the way, it's not his fault that your pitcher sucks, can't throw a strike, and has to groove one right down the middle 92 miles an hour. That's not his fault. And the fact that he's good enough to drive his second ball out of the park in the game is not his fault. Like, I, yeah, no, I, this is ridiculous to me. I Rick, don't even understand why this was ever a thing, but much less – in, in a 60-game season where every game has more importance and you're trying to make the playoff. This is stupid. Yeah, I, I, I've really come to like Jeff Pass, and I know he kind of looks like a nerd when he's on TV, right? He just doesn't – he just looks like a kind of a goofball, but I think he's very logical, level-headed, smart. I, I really uh, enjoy his work as a writer, as a, as a journalist on TV, um, and just when he gives analysis. And he very rarely gets passionate. It's almost – he's very dispassionate, very clinical. But he got passionate about this. He said, I'm trying to figure out what a guy has to apologize for when his job is to hit a pitch as hard as he can hit it, as far as he can hit it, right? Why does he have to apologize for that? It's, it's insane. And not to mention the lack of self-awareness in baseball to not realize that this is exactly what fans want to see. And this is exactly how you make your game more popular is by having yes. guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. hit the ball out of the ballpark every single time that they can. And having guys like Aaron Judge hey. hit the ball out of the ballpark every single time that they can. The idea that you're telling this guy to have less fun and you've got him over on the bench after he's had a two-home run game and been awesome, sitting over there dejected now, looking like he hates life, is the exact problem with baseball. It sucks as a sport. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like I said, if you want to tell the other team, hey, listen, I won't have him swing 3-0, but you got to take the next six outs and just literally bunt, 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 
your first three guys on each inning, just bunt the ball back to the mound. Let's call it a night. If you can promise me that, then I'll make sure this kid doesn't swing 3-0. And I'll let him know that. I'll tell him, hey, dude, don't swing 3-0. They're going to take the next six outs. No. Again, I want to see what would have happened if, let's just say, you, you play by the unwritten rules of baseball. And he takes a called strike. And then decides he doesn't like the next pitch. And then the next one's a borderline strike three. And the inning ends at 10-3. to And the other team comes, comes back and wins 11-10. to Would you have not gone... Damn, looking back at that Tatis at bat, he got a 3-0 cripple fastball and let it go by. What, is it, what do you do? You didn't let him swing? I mean, well, come the, on. It's, the, it's ridiculous. The ridiculousness and the hypocrisy here is, is hilarious too because, by the way, you, so you're saying he can't do this because you're claiming a moral high ground, that he should take the high road and, and win with class, right? So to, the repercussion for that is you now throw a baseball 90-something miles an hour at the other team. Right, right. How does that make sense if we're trying to have morals here? The one I hate is the throwing at the next batter has always bothered me. What the hell did he do? Yep. I mean, that, that's, that's stupid too. But throwing, exactly. throwing a 90-mile-an-hour hard ball at somebody is just a ridiculous uh, way to, to get back at them for apparently showing you up in a sporting event. And then, by the way, these are the same idiots who will then cry if someone like doesn't run out of fly ball or something. So – you're supposed to try as hard as you can, but only when we say so. Like, yeah, no, not if we I, don't I want you to anymore. No, I, I want to know what's the line of demarcation. That's all. And, and there shouldn't be a line. Um, again, and by the way, they didn't give him one because he said in his post-game press conference, he's like, I don't know, like the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, something. I, he, he had right. no idea what, what they were telling him. He was just yeah, like, I've it, never heard of that rule before. And neither and have it, I. And the, the disappointing part is that his own manager and a teammate scolded him. Shame on them. Embarrassment embarrassment. I can't believe that no one had his back in that, except for players from all over the place, including Trevor Bauer, of course. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. Five years with the best dog ever or a Kentucky football title. There's only one right answer. I, I think we all know what you'll answer that. What, wait, what was the first part of that? Five years with the best dog ever or a Kentucky football title. Oh, best dog ever. Yeah, Is best dog what, ever. I, I, I thought they said best arm ever. I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, best dog ever. Yeah, no of point. course. I mean, yeah. I love that. You guys got to quit asking Skinny if he wants uh, his favorite team to win something more than something else. <laughs> He'll never pick a team to win something. He does not well, care. Well, there, there, there may be, yeah, it depends. There may be some level, but dude, I've got a 16 year old Shih Tzu and a nine year old Shih Tzu, and I would go to the mattresses for both of them. In fact, let me tell you, the 16 year old, God love her, dude. Occasionally she has some digestive issues. And guess what I did six times in the middle of the night between Monday night and Tuesday morning? No, I, I got up at this. one. 3 o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, five thirty to get up, run downstairs with her, take her out in the yard, watch to make sure she went to the bathroom. She didn't. Poor thing was uncomfortable. She just didn't feel right. Brought her back to bed. She lay down for about twenty minutes. She kind of get up, and I knew which. And we can't let her jump off the bed anymore. So when she gets up, you kind of gotta grab her and 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 put her either down on the floor or. I know what she gets up for. She's usually pretty good. When she sleeps, she sleeps. Occasionally she wants to get up and drink, get a drink of water. You put her down, got water right by the bed. She gets a drink, you grab her back up. But this was, you know, I, I knew she wasn't feeling right. So old man gets up five times in the middle of the night. I slept about an hour and a half. And I did it for my 16 year old dog, despite being exhausted and having a busy work day Tuesday. I would go to the mattresses for my two dogs. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, that's, that's an easy choice. I think everyone knows that. And he said yep. there's only one right answer. So I think he yeah. knew that too. Uh, what's your favorite WWF slash WWE wrestling move? <laughs> Flying off the turnbuckle, I guess. I'm not a big fan. I used to go back in the day, back when I was a teenager, but I've reached an age in life where I don't pay attention to it. Yeah, I guess the, the off, off the off the turnbuckle, that, that, that one where you land on the guy. Yeah. I think the one for me too is when you're almost at the three count 
and somehow the guy magically kicks out of it. It's the most amazing thing ever, how they have that resourcefulness to right at the three count, Rick, to somehow kick out of that. It's just, it's, it's really, it's, it's an athletic feat that I'm not sure many can accomplish. Yeah, it's a, it's a special talent that they have. I'm going to go with the uh, power bomb from Kane. That was one of my favorite. Where he, like, is, that, is, that, is, that with, is that with the elbow? Oh, okay. No, no it kind of looked like he was going to be like tombstone pile driver, but then he'd just totally pick him up over his head and slam him on their back. That was, I like that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I like used to, I used to do that to my little brother because my you know how the the situation works out with my brothers like I'm a a big guy and my brother is just a total waif I mean he's like 150 yes. pounds uh, so growing up it was easy for me to just throw him all around the place whenever we used to do the the wrestling stuff so that was quite enjoyable for th- me. Th- this will not be a popular opinion that I'm about to give but frankly if you're over 25 years of age and still a fan of WWE or or wrestling like that you got issues. Oh, wow. Uh, 15, ESPN 1530 just lost your number, I believe, because I think all of their producers are wrestling. And I like those guys. And, and I Rick know they are, they're going to be at your neck. They're going to be tailgating yeah. your ass every time you're on the expressway now. Dude, listen, through high school and into college, it was kind of fun to watch and cool, but it, at some stage you just you go, okay, that's, that, that, that silliness is over. It's like, watching car- it's like watching cartoons, dude. Cartoons were cool up to a point, right? And then but, all of a sudden you're like, I'm not watching cartoons anymore. Although I do, I do admit to watching the Flintstones on occasion. See, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in whatever people like, let them like it because we all have okay. something stupid that we're into. Like a lot of people would say it's stupid to be into sports as much as I am, or, you know, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Any of that stuff. So like I, that's I, video games, it's a lot of people want to make fun of the video games and now gaming's like a trillion dollar industry. And there's all type of adults who admit to gaming and streaming themselves. So it's like, yeah, I just think fair. if you like it, just own it and, and go on with it. And, uh, and don't don't get mad at people for liking what they like. Oh, I'm not mad at them. No, I, just, I know you're I just, not. I'm, I'm just more I'm just more quizzical and puzzled that literally, if you're of a certain age, that you can actually think that that I, I just don't get how you how you can find entertainment in that. I just maybe I'm I here. think we all try to hold on to things that make us uh, happy and feel young. And for a lot of people, maybe that wrestling is that for them. So it certainly has a big audience. I mean, they make a ton of money. So I I don't discount that point, my man. Yep. All right, best NKY athlete you've ever covered or seen play, boy or girl? Boy and girl, sorry. Well, uh, Sydney Moss girls-wise, I've said yep, that before. Same. I mean, just just, a, just ridiculous. I mean, I don't even know if she ran track. She, she probably should have because yeah. she was just a ridiculous. Or high player. jump for sure she would have won. Yeah, yeah. Boy's a toss-up. I got a couple. Uh, Derek Smith, who played uh, basketball and baseball at, uh, at Highlands, and I believe uh, – And Derek- football? I mean, what did I say? Yeah, and football. He played all yeah, three. Yeah. I, I believe Derek was runner-up for Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football. That's pretty good, in my opinion. Uh, Derek also played Division One college football at Kentucky, was an all-SEC tight end, and then, oh, after he got done playing football, decided to go back to college, finish at NKU, and started on, on a Division Two college basketball team. That's a pretty good athlete for Northern Kentucky. Uh, I mean, look, Sean Alexander was a special football player, although I would argue he's not the greatest Boone County football player ever. It was a guy named George Rudd back in the late 70s, early 80s, who was just absurdly good. I thought you were going to um, go Corey Ferris there. Uh, yeah, I like Corey Ferris, too. Corey was actually Corey's a good baseball player as well. He was a good baseball player. Um, but I'm, I'm going to have to go Derek Smith. And, and I'll be honest, Jerry Lorenzen isn't too far behind. Yeah. I mean, Lo- Lorenzen is probably the most – a crazy athlete to watch. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's nothing like him. He has no no comparables that that you've ever seen for sure. So um, I I would have loved to have covered Jared Lorenzen. I I for best NKY athlete that I've seen. 
That's a that's a tough one. Do you re- in terms of just physical like because you because you didn't see Derek Smith right? You were too no, young. No, and I didn't and I didn't cover Sean Alexander either. I never right. saw him play. Uh, in, but Sean, in- Sean Sean was just I mean when I think athlete, I'm thinking multi purpose, right? Multi multi purpose athlete. I mean Sean was yeah. a ridiculous football player. I mean my God, he goes on to be an NFL MVP, so he's certainly in that conversation. But he was really just football. He might have run some track. I, I don't remember, but I mean we're talking. Derek Smith actually in baseball was a really good baseball player. He just didn't take it very seriously and didn't do it a whole lot. He was, Derek was just absurdly good athletically. Yeah. I don't even know who the best crossover athlete that I covered would have been. I mean, Brady Haichu comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would have had him number one. No. Yeah. Brady, Brady played three sports at Newcastle, was a quarterback on a football team, played baseball in college and um, ended up uh, also uh, started on a, I don't know if they won a regional championship in basketball. They might have gotten to the final. No, they, they lost, lost to Dixie season. in that crazy, yeah. like, double overtime, overtime game. Four, four, four overtime game. Yeah. 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 Dixie so, no, lost yeah, to Lexcath that year in the yeah, first Brady, state. Brady was a really good athlete. Um, you know, I'm sure our mission's probably some Beachwood three-sport guy. But, no, I'm, I'm going Derek Smith easily for me. All right. Uh, this guy says, I love LaRosa's pizza, but it irks me that their pepperoni is under the cheese rather than on top. So, I have to ask, are you a pepperoni underneath or on top kind of guy? I'd rather have it on top. I do like if if I order La Rosa's pizza, and I do. We probably order that more than any other pizza. Although I'm more of a, we've talked about this before. I'd rather go to the other places. It's just my family doesn't like, they don't like the deep dish. They 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 are just La Rosa's people through and through. So I will usually kowtow to that and and take them up on it. So I do like La Rosa's pizza with the pepperoni under, but my preference is pepperoni on top. Um, I, I'd be honest with you, there there's a really good. And I'd have to. I don't have it a handy. I think it's a private select frozen pizza, believe it or not, that you can get at Kroger. It's got this Doppio salami and these little pepperonis on it, and it's like a thin crust. I'm telling you, I almost would eat that over any kind of store-bought pizza, or, or rather uh, uh, franchisey pizza there is. It's really good, actually. I had it the other night. Again, I, 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 I could have ordered out. My, my family was gone. They were all in Lexington. I was at home by myself, and I'm like, yeah, I could go get some wings or go get a beer or go get a pizza. But you know what? We got three of these frozen pizzas, and they're really good, and it's, it's, it's outstanding. Uh, okay. First of all, that's, that's crazy talk. Frozen pizza is never as uh, good no, as go, go do it. Go, I'm telling you, go, do me a favor. I'll, I'll, I'll take a picture of the box. Go order it. Have it for me one time, and then get back to me. Get back I, to me by the next podcast. Okay, hold on. I'm not saying frozen pizza can't be good, and I believe it's you superb. that the private selection one is good because I've got another one for you from private selection that people should go try. But I'm just saying there is no comparison between frozen pizza and pizza that you order out. Even the hot and ready's from Little Caesars are better than any frozen pizza in my opinion. I'm telling you. Frozen pizza, this. you just can't get the crust right. You can't get the crust right. It's oh, just I, 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 I've got it right because I don't put it – I put it right on the rack. I, I watch it to make sure it doesn't – It's just not the same. You can't freeze I'm it. Just be, anyway. I, Maybe it helps that I was five five Bloody Marys deep and into a beer at that point. Maybe that's that the key. The that's, and again, there's nothing wrong with them. They can be very good. For instance, the private selection – or I, I think that's what it is. Whatever the Kroger brand is that, yeah, that right. I had was um, – pepperoni, hot honey, and red pepper flakes. If you see that Ooh. one, Comparosa okay. does that for real, and it's yep. off the charts good. Well, yeah, that's, that's, the, I probably should have gone. In retrospect, now that you say that, I should have gone to Camparosa. Yeah, that, that place is really good. But yeah. the, the, red, the red pepper flakes, hot honey, and pepperoni pizza, the frozen version, still very good. And, and if you just have a regular frozen pizza, add your own little uh, hot honey and some red pepper flakes. That'll, that'll help it out as well. So – uh, all right, enough pizza talk. Uh, this is, I don't even know how you answer any of these questions, but look, if people send us stuff, I'm going to read them to you. So I'll get your okay. thoughts. Uh, okay. Andrew says, why are there no B batteries? 
Do you think it's a bit suspicious that Neil A landed on the moon, but backwards it spells alien? Since y'all are into ghosts, if ghosts can walk through walls, why don't they fall through the floor? And why is a boxing ring square? Are there any of those that you want to jump in on? I, I don't know what to say to any of that. I mean, they're all great points. Those are fabulous points, although the ghost one's actually the only one of those I can give a logical answer to. Okay, so I actually am interested in hearing that because we're big ghost guys, as he mentioned, and I didn't have a great answer to this. It's kind of a good point. Dude, they float. They don't, they're not going to fall through a floor. They float. Right, so I guess they can just do whatever they want, right? They could Correct. go through a floor if they wanted Correct. to. That, they just don't dude, want dude, to. Sorry, sorry what, who, who, what's the guy's name that asked the Andrew. question? Andrew, that's an, that one's an easy answer. Come on, man. Now, your other three are really good ones, bro. Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe something happened in the testing process with the B battery and they just went, ah, screw it. The B's not going to work. Let's go to the C. You got to admit that's a possibility. They started with the A, went to double A, triple A, and went, wait a minute, let's try the B. They tried the B. They messed up the test and went, let's go right to the C's. Uh, the B's are not working for us. Let's try the C's. The C's worked. They went to the D's. They worked. They went to those little square voltage ones and they worked. They're like, nine volts. Yep. Yeah, the nine volts. We don't I need to go your, back to I like the putting B. my tongue on those. It's kind of like, like doing drugs, yes. I think. It yes. gives you a little shock. It gets you a little high. Has anyone ever not done that, by the way? Put their tongue on a 9-volt? Yeah. No. Every, everyone who knows what a 9-volt is has done it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's like the, the whole, you just got to touch the hot stove, right? You just have to do it. Yep. Well, my dad to, used to teach us to do that to test them if they were still good. Like, that's how you knew <laughs> if they still had juice in them. Seriously, that's what he would say. I, I, I believe that. Yeah. He's like, oh, t- sit your tongue on if it. If it buzzes you, it's still got some juice left. And he, right. I think he was right. And on to his Neil Armstrong question. Listen, anything that pertains to the uh, to the moon landing has conspiracy theories written all over it, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that don't even believe it took place, that it happened in a Hollywood set somewhere. Um, believe what you want. But uh, yeah, anything that pertains to the moon landing uh, and the first man walking on the moon, I mean, you're wide open to any conspiracy theory you want on that one. So and what was, what was D? Uh, why is a boxing ring square? That's a good question. It's the same reason of why does a baseball, when you throw a, a round baseball, try to hit it with a round bat, and how do you try to hit it, Rick? You try to hit square. it square. Yeah. I, I, it's a hard one for me to answer. Yeah. Now, I guess here's my question. Does a ring have to be a circle? Yeah, I feel like it does. I feel like that's the definition yeah, of a ring. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. And, 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 you know, here's the thing. Maybe at one point in time, back in the day, maybe it was in a cylinder format. Maybe it was a ring, and they finally went, this isn't working. Let's square This is it up. really hard to build. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. No, Let's exactly. just make it easy. Just, yeah, just make it easy and square it up. Yeah, no, I, think, I, I think we solved that one. All right, there we go. Good questions. <laughs> uh, what is the correct number of beers to drink to optimize your golf performance? And does this number change when discussing other drinking-adjacent sports, such as cornhole, bowling, et cetera? So that's a good one. Um, usually in my golf league on Tuesdays, I walk, so I don't drink until after the round. Um, it's just too hard to try to carry a beer or put them in your bag and walk and drink. But, it, but on my Friday golf league that I sub in, uh, I have to take a cart just based on the way the course is. Um, and it's just not a very walkable course at, at Boone Links. You can do it. I've caddied there and, and done it, and it's not fun. But playing and, and walking is not fun there. So that's one. And that's usually about a – I usually put four – I get four beers for the nine holes and try to average about a beer every couple of holes or thereabouts. And usually by about a hole seven, my swing is grooved, man. I'm feeling good. So I'll go three beers is a good one to get your swing in the groove. Probably six, and you're, you're probably going to be offline. <laughs> I – uh I don't golf anymore like that unless it's just strictly an outing for beer drinking purposes. And I have noticed during those events, it's a pretty steep decline pretty quickly. So if I, you know, you get to a certain amount of buzzed and you suck at golf, 
I do not find that to be the case with the other sports that he mentioned. Like bowling, I think you just keep plowing and you get better. I don't think there's any like limit you can hit unless it's like blackout <laughs> scene double that where you won't be a better bowler. Because um, otherwise you're just like you're gripping it too. Bowling's a, just a get up there and rip it sport. You just got to let it fly. Yeah, I, I, when I was in, in, a, in a bowling, I, I was a big bowler growing up and, and did it in through my 20s um, in, in a league format at the old Lookout Bowl, which is no longer there as a matter of fact, and, and of course at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I'd have a few. I wouldn't get too buzzed up because I took it too damn seriously probably at the time. But yeah, yeah I, you can't do you that before. You had, to have a, you had to have a few. Yeah, it's silly yeah. not to have a few. Bowl, we're a bowling family. My Dad's bowled a 300, not to brag. Yeah, but, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. But, like, when he was getting, like, cancer treatments, his only request that he needed from any of us was, like, would I fill in in his bowling league so, okay. so they weren't, so they weren't right. missing out on him. So we're a bowling family, and I will say where, – where, uh, where, where, where was the league held? Uh, at that time, it was at Super Bowl, but they've Super been Bowl, to Lookout. Yeah. They've been to Florence. They've been, yep. uh, they've been all over the place. I think they're at Southern Lanes even for a little while. Okay, yeah. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, but they uh, – so every year we go on a minor league baseball trip with my dad's side of the family. And that is a situation where people are drinking about as much as they can get down <laughs> while bowling. And I'll tell you, it, it does not affect like it is. It, it makes me better when I'm bowling. Same thing with cornhole, same thing with can jam, any of those yard sports where you got to be drinking while you're playing it. I think there's not a limit. I think you can just keep drinking. Golf is a totally different deal to me. I think that yeah. very much impacts your game. There's a little more hand-eye coordination there to be quite frank. Yeah. All the others though, I, I think it definitely enhances it because they're just, you can't care about them. If you're, if you're trying and you're focused, you're not going to be good at those other. No question. I, I'm, I'm trying to put this on the fifth board and damn it. I keep hitting the seventh board and you know what? I see two boards in between. I'm just going to aim at them. Yep. It's all, it's all muscle memory. You just right. got to let you know, it rip. No, that's exactly, no, that's right. It, it really truly is. Yeah. Especially Cornell. Like Cornell, once you find the groove, you just quit thinking and just keep throwing the same every time. I, that's why better that way. Yeah. I won the Diener Cornell classic one time. Yeah. Doing yep. that and I was literally like blackout after it. Uh, the worst thing a member of the opposite sex has ever said to you or vice versa. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've called a woman, a, a the C word. It's probably not the best thing ever. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't that, cancel probably, yourself. I mean, come I, on. Yeah, I, that's probably not the best thing ever. I'm sorry. I, I apologize for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've. That I mean, was not like a, a a a relationship you were in, right? That was that was something completely else. Yeah. Or, or are you talking yeah. about a relationship you were in? Yeah, a little of both. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, that's not yeah. great. Yeah, you probably don't. Want to yeah, do it's that. it's it's not a good look. It's, not the it's ones not. Love. Yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't think of what the worst that the opposite said to me other than no right i mean <laughs> i mean no thanks is that or it? get away i mean no i'm not one of those i look listen dude i i really am not one of those guys that, that back in the day was johnny suave trying to to youth line i mean i just i always think those are cheesy and they always were cheesy um so yeah I, I i can't really tell you what it would be uh i don't know that i have a great thing that like i've said or that they've said to me but I do know the most cringy moment of my life that I still look back on constantly that happened with a, a girl I was dating. We were in, we were driving through the Crestview town center parking lot at the time. And I hate country music. You know, I hate country music. And she has Kenny Chesney CD on and she's doing it to mess with me. She was trying to piss me off. Um, and finally I was like, look, if you play Kenny Chesney again, I'm throwing that CD out the window. 
And this is like, so this is right after I graduated high school. So it was like 2007 would have been. So everything is a burnt CD at that point. Like no one has paid for a CD in years. No one has an actual CD in their car, but she turns it on. I hit the eject button. I grab that CD and I throw it like a Frisbee right out the window. Wow. Explodes out in the parking lot. And as I'm throwing it, I realized it was like an actual CD that she had bought. And at yeah. that point, I felt really bad about it because I was like, wait, you didn't burn this? Like, I assumed you had stolen it. We would steal it again, whatever. But once I found out that she had paid her like twelve ninety nine or whatever it was for it, I felt way worse about the situation. I still think about that all the time. Like, what the hell kind of psycho throws someone's CD out the window? Like, that is actually like serial killer type behavior, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there was any other signs I had that suggest I'm a serial killer, but that was a moment where it's like, eh, I might be on the list. Let let me take you up. I'm going to get in your corner on this one a little bit. I think at that stage of the game, you know what? I hope she realizes just how much you hate country music. (laughs) Yeah, f*** Kenny Chesney. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah, actually, you made me feel better about it. I'm glad we there talked you go. about it. Therapy does work. All right. Yep. Uh, and here's another one to finish it off about the opposite sex. What's the most unattractive thing you've seen a really attractive person do? I've got two of them off the top of my head right away. And I've talked about this before on the podcast. One of the things I've always said, this happened to me, I think when I was in college, my family wanted to go to Golden Corral for some reason. I think it was the first time I'd ever been there. If for a family dinner, we go to Golden Corral, and I saw one of the most attractive women I've ever seen in my life just filling up a plate at the Golden Corral. And I was like, if that girl can eat Golden Corral and look that good, someone should marry her immediately because that is one hell of a skill. Um, the other one was very recent. Just the other day, I was in a checkout line, socially distanced, as one should, with a mask on. And there was a very, very attractive lady in front of me who did not have a mask on. And that did not become a shock to me when she put her stuff down and grabbed a Tabasco flavored Slim Jim off the shelf and put wow. that on. Wow, that's fabulous. Like, Holy hell, I did not expect you to do that. So that's, uh, I, I think picking your nose in public always bugs me. And I'm probably guilty of it on occasion because you sometimes don't even realize you're doing it. But <laughs> what? It's just, it's, just, it's just not a. Yes, you do. Who, who picks their nose without knowing it? Yeah, I mean, you occasionally, like, you got, like, a hanger there, and you just kind of, like, wipe at it, and oh, you just, okay. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we all do that. Yeah, but well, you're knuckle deep, man. You got to know you're knuckle deep, right? I well, mean, you yeah, have to I, know mean, that. And, I mean, like, I've, maybe if they're eating it. I don't care if they're yeah, just I've, I've, or scratching their I've, 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 I've seen that from a few attractive women before. You're like, I'll get a boogie for them. I don't care. Dude, yeah, no, That's almost we walk over and go, ma'am, can I help with that? Yeah, I'll and check the like, bats in the cave for them. I yeah, have would, no problem with that. Would, would you like to go out? I think smoking is gross no matter what. Like, it, used to bo- it used to bother me more than it does. I'm not a smoker. I'm an occasional cigar smoker, probably like a lot of people. Um, but um, yeah, I, I used to, that used to be on my list actually is in my, in my formative dating years. That was like uh, the, the list of nah, 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 I'm, I can't be with you. Yeah, and especially especially when you especially up. back in that day where you'd kiss the girl that 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 would smoke and you didn't realize she smoked and you'd be uh, like, oh, oh, what uh, are we doing here? Come on, like man. An ashtray. Yeah. To yeah. me, that is smoking cigarettes is one of the most unattractive things possible. So if you see like, a, but it doesn't necessarily make you look unattractive at the time. It's just I know what what cigarettes mean. It means you smell yeah. weird. It means you taste nasty. So it's like, oh, gross. And I'll have to go with this one, and it's going to be an unpopular, and it's not something that somebody did specifically, but it's it's the woman where it's just too little bathing suit for too much woman. That, that's just. <laughs> I'm not body shaming here. I say be proud. Wear what makes you happy. You're beautiful, women. 
No, I'm not saying you don't need to wear a bathing suit and you can't go out in public and, but just too little bathing suit for too much. <laughs> what do you think about the uh, yoga pants, Skitty? Don't try to pull that off. Just don't. Huh? The, the, what do you think about the yoga pants? Same, same issue occasionally? Yeah, no question. Yeah, no question. Yeah, no, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. No, yeah, no question. All no right, doubt. that's all we've got. Okay. All good stuff as always. Thanks as always for the questions. We appreciate them, and you can do it each week. Hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. We'll be back next week with more sports conversation and more of this silliness. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Edition.